This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by the Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. There may be tears, triggers, laughter, some learning and profanity. I would say in this one, we are 100% guaranteed to have profanity. You've been warned, so make yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax as I talk with Julia Wilson from Sydney, and she's going to share some secrets with us today. (laughs) Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. I must say, my life uh, I have seen more warning signs walking into rooms and heard people introduce me with a warning. I'm like, oh, come on, it's not that bad. And then I hear myself, I go, no, it is that bad. It is that bad. It's, <laughs> but it's not because it's who you are. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not It's not an affectation. I don't put it on. It's just how I am. It's who I am. And that's kind of how are. I roll. It's how you roll. <laughs> so I'm going to start with asking you to describe yourself in three words. Oof. Oh, that's not one. Um uh, uh, tomboy is that one word? Yep, that's one word. Uh, loud. Yes. Mm, genuine. There you go. Absolutely. There's, it's one thing I hear a lot, and it's not often a compliment. Is like you know, really? oh wow, you're pretty raw, aren't you? And I go, oh really? I call it genuine. <laughs> I usually say I call it genuine, cockhead. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they're like, that's what I mean. That bit there. That's the raw part. Yeah, I found myself the other day yelling at somebody, people know where they stand with me. <laughs> it's endearing. I'm like, if you have to scream, <laughs> it's endearing. Maybe it's not endearing. <laughs> people who people who love you, love you. And people who don't, probably don't. Really fucking don't. <laughs> so really quite polarising. Yeah, it was funny when I started doing stand-up comedy, I always said that um, of the crowd, if... As long as people knew who I was, I didn't care if they really liked me or really hated me, but the worst possible thing that could happen would be people would walk away from the gig going, oh, and then there was some chick on, I don't know what really she was talking about. Like, have an opinion. I don't care what it is, just have an opinion. Mm, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Don't be indifferent. Yeah, and that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> doesn't happen too often. <laughs> so you have had a really, really wide, varied life. You're a stand-up comedian now. You own a bookshop. I do. You are a carer for elders, including yes. your own father. Yes. You have been an accountant in a former life. Yes. I was a bouncer and bodyguard for 10 years. I was a truck driver. Uh, so it's interesting that I always make sure I get the, the fact that I'm dad's full-time carer in because re- people go, oh, isn't that lovely? And then I smash him with all the other things. They're like, oh, that's, oh, oh, oh. Because mm. if I started with, I used to be a truck driver, I used to be a bouncer, people go, oh, and then no matter what you say to try and bring it back, when, when you made your living through violence, <laughs> people are like, mm, yeah, okay, so you look after your dad now. It's a bit different. To, so I start with the fact, I'm dad's full-time carer. Yeah. Yes, okay. But you also have, you're also a psychology student now Yeah, well. I'm, on my, I'm on the home stretch too. I'm at the part of the degree where you have to just knock out a couple of extra subjects and they're not offered all the time. So I'm just treading water to get it done. Right, so you're waiting for the ones that you really want yeah, to do. Yeah, the ones I have to do right. and the ones that, because I'm doing, uh, the degree is psych with a minor in Indigenous studies and the Indigenous subjects don't come up every term. So, right, so you have to wait. Yeah, I could possibly okay. get a different minor, but the Indigenous studies is the one I want, so who yeah. bad? So what made you decide to do psychology? Because you're also a good iron player as well. Yes. 
So some people might say, psychology, really? Yeah, I do enjoy, well, it's going to come out wrong. I do enjoy violence. I do enjoy physical contact. Yes. Like, it's like there's, there was something beautiful about, um, about playing gridiron where it's just brute strength against brute strength. Yep. And then gridiron itself also has smarts and brute strength. Mm. So I wish you to call it violent chess because it was like, there was a play you had to make happen and for that to happen, this person had to turn left, that person had to turn right, a gap had to open up here, the person three people back had to run through that gap. Like all these things mm. had to happen to make mm. that play work. Mm. Um, and if any one person didn't do their job, the play fell down. Yeah. So I enjoy that and I really enjoy like the brutal aspect of that. Yes. But equally, I like how the brain works and I like how I like, I like I'm such a people studier, which I w- always was. So I started mm. being a bouncer when I was 18 and I was such a little people watcher. So for 10 years of being a bouncer, I just observed humans in their natural habitat. And, and as a bouncer, you're almost invisible. People don't even notice that you're there. So you really do get to watch them in their natural habitat, which okay. is wonderful. But also as a stand-up, you'd have to be yeah. a, an observer of yeah. human so, nature. So being a bouncer was the perfect training ground um, for being a comedian. A, I'm unhecklable. Like no one in 17 years, no one has heckled me and put me off. Because um, I've heard it all before. I spent 10 years being called every name under the sun. So the weird heckles are when people, I did a, a gig in Sydney um, a couple of months ago called What She Said. And it's this beautiful um, women only on the bill, but everybody welcome to come inclusive. And I thought it would be horrible. I I, I hate playing all women bills because often it's like, it's ladies night. And it's just such a horrible marketing hook that I hate them. People go, hey, we're doing a Mother's Day special. No, nah. we're doing a blah, blah, no. Nah. So unless it's marketed correctly, I just don't want a bar of it because I, yeah. I don't like I don't like being, um, you know, part of a dodgy kind of, we're not taking you seriously. You're just a way for us to sell tickets. I won't be a bar, I won't have a bar of that. So when I got asked if I'd do this gig, I kind of put them off for a couple of months and then it was their one-year anniversary and they said, we'd mm. love you to come and headline. And I was playing Alice Springs the night before. So I flew in from Alice Springs back to Sydney, went straight to the room. And when I walked in, it was so bloody lovely. Like every, every audience member was a, just a fucking gem and every performer was really, like I really enjoyed it. And I got on stage and I just went, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be around you people. Mm. You're also fucking lovely and supportive and compassionate. And everyone's leaning forward with big smiles on their face. I'm like, even now, I just insulted you and you're still fucking <laughs> smiling at me. Like I don't, I don't understand what to do with your compassion. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm mm. used to combative comedy. I'm used to being on stage in pubs mm. going, shut up, dickhead, I'm ready to talk, you know, that kind of thing. So I didn't know what to do. And then someone sneezed and I went, bless you. And I went, see, even that, I, even that's weird. Normally I'd be like, shut up, dickhead. <laughs> It's like, no, I was like, bless you. Oh, God, who even am I? Like, yeah. So, yeah, in terms of being heckled, unheckleable until people are nice to me and then I'm like, ah. So it brings <laughs> the self-decide comes out Yeah, in it's you. weird. That's it, weird. But getting back to why I started studying psychology, yeah. I had a lovely interaction with a man at a gig at Manly Boatshed, which is my backyard. Like I yes. live in Manly. The Boatshed is a very rough room to do comedy in. But it's my. I drink at, I drink at that bar like four nights a week, so it's feels to me like it's my backyard. Mm. So when I'm on stage there, I don't give a shit how rough that room is. You will not heckle me because someone in the room will come over and punch you. Like I'm, I, it very much is my home pub. Mm. And, um, and it was a really rough night and they had heckled every comedian that had been on. And it was one of those kind of showcasey nights where everyone was doing five minutes and they were just awful to everybody. And I went on stage, just went, and I was on second last and I just went, Bring it. I'm here. Let's do this. And you've seen my set. It's pretty full on, pretty quick. Mm. I do actually hit the stage 
and just immediately like, bah, 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 gets, I don't give him a chance to breathe. Mm. I don't give him a chance to heckle. I just go flying straight into it. And so I did five minutes and smashed it. It was, and I don't like to be that comic who's like, yeah, I did so fucking well, but I did really well that night. And I got it like, thank you and good night and got off stage. And, um, and this lovely older Jewish American gentleman followed me off stage and just went, I won't do the accent because it's insulting, but he was like, Every, every, <laughs> it, it was, it was a, a tourist that was in town, Oh, okay. but he, um, he was every stereotype you've ever seen of a little old Jewish American dude. He was like, Hey, how you doing? Like he was really strong accented. And I walked off stage and he, he said to me, uh, my wife passed away six months ago and I haven't as much just smiled in that time. And I just laughed so hard. I cried. Like that was, wow. you're amazing. And I was, and I went, that's a huge compliment, but also that's so sad. I'm so sorry. And he said, look, I've got a business idea in mind. Can you meet me tomorrow for a coffee? And I went, absolutely. Because one of the joys of being a unit is that you don't, I never say no to stuff just in case. Yes. I always go, yeah, I can handle that. Like yeah. worst case scenario, I can kick the shit out of all y'all. Like it's, yeah. it gives you that extra confidence to just go, yeah, let's see where this goes. So I went and met him the next day. It turns out he's um, he's a touring psychology lecturer and he is an author and he's written a bunch of books, including one which was a workbook for um, the juvenile justice system in America to get kids away from suicide, drugs, gangs, teen pregnancy, to get them out of the jail system and stay out of the jail system. And he said, I'm on loan from my government to your government to amend the workbook for uh, Indigenous youth. He said, I don't know if you know, but you've got a bit of a problem with Indigenous youth and custody. And I went, ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes. Well yes, aware. We and I would love to be able to help. And he said, well, here's my thing. Why don't you go and get your psych degree and then come study with me and deliver my training packages all around the world and save some lives? And I went, I'm sorry, what now? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And he's, because at that time I was studying philosophy for fun to keep my brain active. And he said, just swap your degree over get a, a psychology degree and then you can deliver training packages in whatever country during the day and at night do comedy. Like, I, you know, just I can get you a visa into any country in the world. And I went, what? Wow. And I said to him, mate, you saw me do five minutes of cock jokes in a rough bar. I don't think you really have a full grasp of exactly what it is. He goes, no. He said, I get people from all around the world apply to study with me and they can be the smartest psychologist in the world, but unless they've got a performing arts background, I don't want to bar of them because you might be the smartest person in the room, but if you mm. can't get their attention and get them to, to really bond with you, then um, you've got one chance at saving this kid's life and mm. you've ruined that chance and now, now nothing is going to bring it back. And he said, I watched you take a violent, aggressive room full of people who did not want to listen and make them, every single one of them sat down, shut up and listened to every single thing you said for five minutes straight. And I was just like, stop, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so now I'm studying psych with a minor in Indigenous studies to see what happens there. And you're still in contact with him, I take yeah, it. I yeah, him, I send him essays and go, hey, can you proofread this for me? <laughs> and does he? Yeah, he's great. He's, oh, he's a really good dude. And his yeah. daughter is a stage manager, so I put her in contact with some of my stage manager friends. So he's like, I really owe you. And I went, mm, do you though? <laughs> yeah, wow. So there's real connections of who, yeah. you know, who you know and things like that. So just as a bit of, you know, I met, I first met you on the stand-up Yeah, scene on the circuit. When I was, when I was dabbling and I know I dabbled for five years, but I got to the point where I was like, oh, I just don't have anything new to add. <laughs> um, I'm getting old <laughs> and I don't want to be, um, I, don't, I didn't want to be a bitter, the bitter old lady on stage. <laughs> I don't think you ever could, could you? 
Oh, no, I was getting there. I was getting there. And then I had one of those gigs at a particular club in Sydney where I turned up to, to go on stage. And because none of my guests had arrived, they wouldn't actually let me go on. You're kidding me. No, and that was... I'd the, have punched on for that. That, well, that was the end of it for me. I, I, I did lose it. Yeah. Um, and I just... And that was literally the, the last time I oh, ever really? booked a gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you should... Have you yeah. performed since? Uh, I do poetry and stuff now. It, I don't do comedy, but everyone tells me I should go. You back should to do it. one just to finish on a good note, rather than a. a... Oh, I, I don't hold it. I don't hold it as a as a bad thing. I kind of hold it as a. I think I was already starting to feel right, like a, it wasn't my my love. Right. So it's probably it's probably time. That's right. the sign. But that's how we first met. I would be like, I did my hair and fucking makeup for this. You will put me on stage. <laughs> well, I was a little bit like that. <laughs> they put me on the stage. Yeah. If I had to take hostages, they put me on yeah. the stage. And it was before I'd worked through my anger stuff. <laughs> you know what I love about working through your anger stuff? Yeah. <laughs> There's always more anger stuff to work through. <laughs> I am at the calmest I've been in all my 44 years and still... Someone the other day when I was out shopping said something the wrong way and I went, what would you fucking say? And I was 100% about to get into a fight. I'm like, oh, there you go. That's still there. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, you, you, you talking about not being hecklable made me think of um, something the other day. I was, I, I, I do Toastmasters now and I have, this, I have this young mentee who really wants to develop his off-the-cuff speaking. Nice. And because he knows or one of the other guys told him that I'd done stand-up, he asked me if I could help him with that. And he was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I really want to know what happens when you get heckled like you did tonight. I said, and you handled it brilliantly. I got, I got heckled at a Toastmasters meeting. Is that allowed? No, but I shut it down. Jesus. Straight away. And he said, what's the worst heckle you ever had? I said, but the worst one I ever had that I dealt with, I think, the best way was this guy shouted out, you suck. <laughs> and I just looked at him and went, yes, yes, I do. And winked. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he just... <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it actually was a really... It was it actually turned out to be a really good gig because it got a really big laugh and I just went back into yeah, the nice. set. But he, he was... Yeah. He'd been doing stuff beforehand and I'd managed to ignore it until he really full on yeah. Yeah. That's why I think being a bouncer is such great training for going into stand-up because I can see... And the other thing is I have a medical thing where I make twice as much adrenaline as most people. So... I process things really quickly, which is yes. probably why I talk fast and think fast and I live pretty hard because I'm just like constantly running on 110, you know. Yeah. Um, but it means that I can see, I, I read micro um, aggressions and I read tiny little body language things that people probably, I, I probably don't even notice it intellectually, but I mm. definitely notice it. I call it my lizard brain. My lizard brain yeah. sees what's going on. So I, I can see someone sh shifting uncomfortably in their chair way before they're even thinking about heckling. And all mm. it takes is just to make a slight eye contact and go, huh, right, yeah, and then just move on. Like just any little thing, which essentially is me saying, I see you, um, and it won't take me one second to get down there. Yeah. And it's not aggressive, but it's just I see you, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, fuck, I'm part of the show. Whoops, and then and they just sit quietly. Their, and, then, and their lizard brain kicks in. Yeah, lizard brain goes, she's pretty fucking big. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll wait till a little skinny MC comes so you, back on. <laughs> so you've made a couple, yeah, um, yeah. So and you've made a couple of references now to the fact that you're pretty big. So just explain for our listeners who, oh, don't, so, who don't know who you so are. So I'm 5'8", and I'm currently 104 kilos, but I bounce between 100 and 120. Like I'm, I'm sort of, my, my playing weight's about 106, 110. 
mm. um, because as an offensive centre, the heavier and stronger you are, the more effective you are. I'm not playing this season because I tore my ACL and my hip flexor and I'm waiting for that to heal. So I'm a bit lighter than I, than I am at playing weight. Um, but I was, I got up to like 116.7 after a, a very good summer. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I, I do keto when I, when I need to bring my blood pressure down or I need to be healthy. So, and you like a beer? Oh, fucking oath I do. I could smash one right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm like, I'm, I'm five, eight, which isn't super tall, but because I'm such a unit, people think I'm taller, which always, mm. and people always think I'm a smoker, which makes me laugh. But I think it's your bearing too. You're very, you, you do, you do. When you walk into a room, <laughs> you know you've arrived. I take up my space, don't I? <laughs> you, you, but no, I wouldn't say you take it up. I would say you own it. <laughs> I actually have a bracelet that I'm not wearing right now. My dad gave me for Christmas, which is gorgeous. And so my dad is 87 and uh, is currently beating two different kinds of cancer and he has diabetes and he has heart disease and he has a pacemaker and defibrillator and he has 14 stents in his body. He's got nine in his heart. And his B.O.B. is... B.O.B. is a bit of a fucking legend. So yeah, he's got he three in one leg, he's got two in the other leg and he just won't die. Like he's just, he is such a hardy fucking immortal. He'll outlive me, I'm very sure of it. Well, I'm pretty sure that shortly after we first met on the circuit, I remember you telling me about your dad being on. And being concerned that this was the end. Yeah. And that would have been probably 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> he keeps just going, ha ah, ah, sucker. Yeah. I've said goodbye to him. I've said the big goodbye three times now. Yeah. Um, we've had big chats about, you know, cremation versus burying. We've had all the big chats. Uh, and he just comes through every surgery. He had surgery last Friday and he's almost completely healed up already and it's Wednesday. Like it's just, yeah. he is, is 87, he turns 88 next month. And honestly, he outthinks me every day. His ability to do a crossword is bullshit. <laughs> and whenever he's telling you a story, he remembers everyone's name, everyone's age, what score they were on when this particular story happened, what team they played for, what their wife's name was. He is insanely clued up, which is amazing. I, it gives me hope yes. <laughs> that if I make it to that age, I'll be okay. And then on the other, uh, the other side of that, you also um, volunteer... Um, actually, these days I'm doing a volunteer job where I go to, I do social visits in elderly people's homes. Right. So um, one of my dudes I take coffee to every fortnight and I have just in the last week started to visit uh, a Torres Strait Islander gentleman that I worked with when I did my um, performing job for elders. So I used to go into nursing homes and play ukulele and sing and do poetry and just be silly for um, people with dementia. Uh, and I only found out recently that this guy was still alive. Um, so I went to the nursing home and went, hi, you don't know me. Um, is there any chance I can visit with uh, this guy who has just the coolest name in the world? His name, am I allowed to use his name? I don't know what the, his name's Absalom, which is Absalom. just the coolest name. Remember the well, cat out of Alice yeah, was, in Wonderland? Like, the, I was going to say Absalom is the one who yeah. was smoking the. Right. Yeah. And he's this cool Torres Strait Islander dude. And so I've started to, and they were like, oh, do you want to come back and volunteer anyone? I'm like, oh, no, no. My days are pretty full. I just feel like I have to, Absalom kept popping into my mind and kept popping into my mind and I assumed that he had passed away. And when I rang to see, you know, how long ago he'd passed away, they're like, oh, no, he's still alive. And I went, oh, can I come visit? <laughs> so I just turned up with my police check and my driver's licence. And when I handed it over, I said, please don't judge me. It's a truck driver's licence. And she looked at me and I went, it's really a truck driver's licence. She looked at it and she went, oh, Jesus. Like, I have one of those. I know, but don't people look at you funny yes, when you do. hand it over? Yes, they do. It's like, why? Because yeah. I, because I can. Yeah, and because I'm a truck driver. Like, <laughs> I often, I love that I get, I love being the friend in the group 
where if anything out of the ordinary happens and someone needs someone to work or someone to help out or someone, they're like, they ring me and go, hey, have you ever blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, no, nope, but I'll give it a crack. <laughs> it's, I found myself driving a front end loader for five weeks um, last year when a mate of mine who works for a paper recycling company, the, um, the yard kid quit. And they needed, they were getting another bloke, but he was five weeks away and they needed someone to drive the front end loader to push the paper and recycling, you know, cardboard waste into the big machine that smushes it up into uh, three ton cubes, which right. I then use a, um, a forklift to pick them up and put two at a time over here and then pick up another two and put them on very top. And then, <laughs> so of course I was getting up at five in the morning to drive a yeah. front end loader, which I called Bill from um, Mr. Squiggle. Do you remember the front end loader on that? Like poor old Bill was, he was always like chugging out steam. And I was like, hey, Bill, how are you this morning? And one of the drivers goes, did you name the front end loader? I went, yeah, of course I did. Of course like, I, I might be a truck driver, but I'm also a girl. Exactly. I still have a vagina. <laughs> so my motorbike is the big girl. My car is Lawn because he's a green valiant. Yes. And Bill was the front end loader, of course. Like it did. You know what I love though? Here's the thing that I thought was so cool out of that job. So I did it for five weeks and I trained the guy that was coming in. Um, who's a, who I'd known for years and years, and he's a good dude. Um, on his second day, he went to pick up, I was on the front end loader and he was on the forklift, and he went to pick up, um, it had been raining and the cubes of cardboard were really wet, which made them mm. really heavy. Yeah. And he went to pick one up and he had it up quite high. You meant to travel around with everything, all the loads oh. down at ground level. And he had it up quite high because he hadn't put it in the right spot and he was just trying to move a little bit. But then he, it got a little bit too quick for him and he punched the brakes. So what happened with that momentum is that the high, yeah, so the whole forklift went over mm. um, and the boss just went, get out. Like he was really lucky not to have tipped out himself. Yes. Uh, everyone was fine, but the boss just said, get out. We're going to have to call a crane, but a crane that operates indoors. It costs so much money to get this forklift righted. But every truck driver that walked in for the rest of the afternoon saw me fanging around on the front end loader and this bloke standing there with his arms kind of twiddling his thumbs with his arms crossed, if you can even do both of those at the same time. Um, And the truck driver's like, oh, knew it. How long did it take you to do that? Which he could easily have said, oh, well, chicks, eh? Because I couldn't hear them. I was still working because I hadn't fucked up my front end loader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he could easily have, have you know, just not said anything. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, that was me. Fuck, you should see her on it. She's a gun. Like yeah. he was really cool about it. And I went, that's the best. I loved that. I loved yes. When I left that job, I was like, you guys are awesome. Yeah. I didn't cop any shit for being a chick truck driver, for being a front end loader and a forklift driver. They were all like, nice work, doll. <laughs> I've, I, I have actually been told, and this is in the last couple of years, uh, that's more of a man's job, love. Oh, really? When I've applied for truck driving jobs. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and my response to that is invariably, um, I don't think I'd want to work for a company. Yeah. Such a misogynist pig Yeah, anyway. obviously. I, um, I always go, oh, I'm a Julia. And they go, what? I'm like, I'm a Julia. We're our own thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like being a Julia doesn't have a gender. That's when I, these days when I introduce myself on stage or when I first go on stage, I have to explain because I've got short, spiky hair, I'm... I'm really, I, I kind of prowl around the stage. I'm quite a presence mm. and I see people for the first couple of minutes on stage just hand behind their, you know, talking behind their hand going, and I can see, do you reckon she's gay? I don't know, do you? So anything that can distract the audience, as if anyone gives a fuck if I'm gay or not, but mm. anything that could possibly distract them, you have to address immediately. So mm. I say, I get asked, and I do get asked weekly if I'm gay. And it, I always go like, "What do you care? Are you trying? If you're not trying to fuck me, what do you care?" But constantly, so are you? Um, 
are you a um and i go am i a what <laughs> so it's always yeah. are you gay are you bi i've started recently being asked if i'm transgender which i think is hilarious right because i'm like cool <laughs> that would actually make me super fucking cool um and i always go oh no i'm a julia like, what? So, yeah, when I'm on stage, I say that I'm a tomboy that grew up into a tom man. It's kind of the only way to explain it. Because yeah. I still do all the cool. I still ride my motorbike. I still go pig shooting. I'll still go and um, it, it makes me laugh that I can go from a pig shooting weekend where the pigs have gone feral and they have to be culled and also we get to eat them yes. um, to uh, I'll go and protest on Manly Beach for the um, PEP 11 program where they're firing air shots into the ground, disrupting the plankton, ruining the ecosystem of the <laughs> of the ocean. So I'm on one hand I'm a giant hippie and on the other hand I'm like, I'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I'll eat it. Yeah. What, what kind of meat? Yep, love a crack. <laughs> yeah. But there's no there's no um there's no right or wrong. You are who you are. Yeah. I I am. <laughs> yeah. But you've also been through you've also been through some pretty rough Oh yeah. Stuff. Yeah, it's been life. it's been some big stuff. That's why yeah. I think I get pretty chilled about things where I just go, look, no one died. Like it's, you know, I had the suicide of a really close friend devastated me for years and years. So when it comes to when it comes to mental health, I think we throw around language way too easy. Um, so anytime someone I hear someone go, God, oh, that guy's crazy. I go, eh, well. And whenever I'm calling someone crazy, I go, I tried to be as mindful as I can around mental health language, but that dude's batshit crazy. Like. Mm-hmm. I, genuinely, he's a danger to himself and crazy and unmedicated and no one is supervising him, so be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, mental health in terms of suicide and depression, anxiety, I seem to be the friend among my friends that I get a text message, hey, I need a I need a psych for a friend of mine, who can you recommend? You know, that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I take it all quite seriously because I've lost enough people to that sort of stuff, be it actual suicide where they've killed themselves or slow suicide where they have just taken all of the dangerous behaviour. Yeah, the too much drinking, the driving drunk, the driving too fast, you know, just going, I don't care if I die. And, of course, because you are around and you are on the comedy circuit and you have performed internationally, you you are in that sort of that Oh, I'm world. right in the middle of that world. You're right in the middle of the world where so many people, you know, Famously, Robin Williams. Mm. Um, you know, we we you see famous people who commit suicide. And oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, there was nothing wrong. They're just, they're, but they're so funny. And of course, Robin Williams is famous for saying, "People make comedians make people laugh because they don't want anyone else to feel as bad as yeah, they do." Yeah, absolutely. And I mean. I know many comedians that really struggle, like really struggle with depression and anxiety. It's a big one in our industry. Mm-hmm. And some deal with it as best they can on stage. Some deal with it as best they can with medication. Some don't deal with it at all and are on a very mm, slow or fast decline. Like you, you can see, you know, there's a couple of people in the industry I just go, oh, I'm going to hate going to his funeral. It's going to suck. You know, like you can see, and you know, and I try to have quiet words. I'm like, hey, is everything all right? I um I went and saw a girlfriend last night whose son is on the spectrum and was just just he asked in October last year to be diagnosed because she was like I, I you know I just want to kind of cope with how he is and do the best we can if we diagnose him then he's got a label attached to him for the rest of time but at 13 last year he said mum I need a diagnosis I need to be able to function in society 
and get some help? Yeah. So, so with that diagnosis, he'd then be eligible for NDIS? Yeah. Well, they just had their NDIS um, meeting today. And so I said to her last night, I popped around just to say g'day. I haven't seen her for ages and ages and I popped around and uh, and I said to her, and how are you? And she went, what? I'm like, well, are you okay? Because you're holding everything together. Her husband's amazingly supportive. Her husband's a great dad to the kids. Um, but A, how's the relationship? Because that's got to be tough. Mm. And B, are you okay? Because this is exhausting. I've been here for five minutes and I'm exhausted. She sent me a message today to say that, you know, these, these kids are 13 and 14. She sent me a message today to say, you have no idea what last night did for me. You're the second person since they were born to ask if I'm all right. I'm like, what? Who the fuck are you hanging out with? What kind of friends have you got if I'm the second person? I haven't seen it for ages and just happened to pop in. I'm like, dude, surround yourself with better people. That's fucked. That really surprised me, but the meeting went well today because I just checked up on the way in. <laughs> yeah, and it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite interesting. People who have, who have mental health issues, who are diagnosed, mm. will often once they're in the system, in air quotes, once they're in that system, they will always be asked about their diagnosis, about their medication. Mm. They'll very rarely, from this point forward, be asked what's going on for you today. Yeah. And I, 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 I didn't know about that until I did some volunteer work at a homeless shelter. Right. Where I was seeing a lot of people who had schizophrenia, and they had, and they were, they were good, but they were still on the streets, or they just got themselves into into housing, and they were, you know, they, but they were still just wanted a little bit of support. And they would come to me, and they'd sit down, and they would go, "Hi, my name's, this is my diagnosis, and this is the drugs." And I'd go, "No, no, wow, I, I just need you, just, just stop for a second. Yeah. No, no, I just want to know how you are today. Yeah, wow. And many of them had said, actually said to me, I don't think I've ever been asked. Before. Fuck, really? That's terrifying. Yeah, and it was. And I, 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 I did that for, I did that for about twelve months. Yeah. And pretty much every new client that I had in that, because it was a very casual thing. I was basically sat in the lounge. They'd come and have a chat with me. And, yeah. But what a difference that would make to somebody to go, oh, I'm more than my diagnosis. I've got a girlfriend of mine is a candle maker um, and she has beaten two different kinds of cancer. And Mm. when she was having chemo, she spent nine months in hospital for the last lot, um, which is seven years ago now. But she had a bone marrow donation, which is what saved her life. Uh, And when she was in hospital, she promised the nurses that if she made it out, because she she had like a 7% chance of surviving, which... Obviously she has because mm. she's killing it. Yeah. Um, but she promised the nurses, she said, if I get out, I'm changing shit up. I'm fucking off the old job. And so she started a candle making company and she hand makes. And she, like the business is thriving so much um, that she's like, she needs to hire people to do each one of the jobs that she does in the business. Like to cover what she like needs, she needs line. to hire five different people. She needs a graphic designer and a wow. – so she, she – um, her olfactory sense is, is amazing. And yeah. so her – her ability to to blend essential oils and she's really ethical about where she purchases them from and how yep. they're derived and all that kind of stuff. And same with the wax, like she's really – and she used to be a retailer and she would ask candle suppliers those questions and they couldn't answer with where has the wax come from, how is it derived, like what – you know, that kind of stuff. So she decided to do it herself but there's one line that she has and it's two candles and it's for people going through chemo and they're the smell that calm nausea quite quite well. And one of the candles is called I am and the other candle is called more than this 
because she was like, I got sick and tired of being treated like I was my diagnosis. So she is, as far as she's concerned, I'm more than this. I'm more than my fucking diagnosis. And so any every cent that they make from that line of candle goes back to the um, uh, Leukemia Foundation, I think, because you're not allowed to donate to the bone marrow people. Um, they're not allowed to take donations. Pay them to. Yep. Isn't that right. interesting? So she gives it to the Leukemia Foundation. But, um, but yeah, the, the idea that someone stops and asks you how you are rather than what your diagnosis is so, fucking massive. So I would, I would really like to put the details of your friend's oh, cool, yeah. company into the, into, yeah, into the blog post. So I'm sure you can send me a message about oh, for that sure. afterwards and we'll make sure that that's in the, in the description. And yeah, the, it's just, yeah. And, it's a, and the, the candles themselves, are, I burn them when I have a hangover, which makes it sound like I'm being like a dick to people with cancer. But when I have a hangover and I feel really, really sick, those candles help so much. And I'm like, I know these are designed for people going through chemo, but oh man, <laughs> if I've been on a bender and met, I, you may not know this about me. <laughs> you totally know this about me. I can drink. Like, I really, I enjoy getting really, like, I do know this about It's one you. of my favourite things. And it makes me laugh. People go, I always used to think I could drink until I met you. <laughs> God, I've heard that a few times in my yeah. life. Um, I, it always makes me laugh when people are like, do you drink to escape? I'm like, no, I drink because I really fucking like drinking. And I enjoy yeah. being drunk. I actually enjoy... I love it. It's one of my favourite things. And I'm a grown-up. I'm allowed to be drunk. So when I went to my friend's place last night, she had a glass of red and she's like... Um, she held it up and she goes, oh, I got some good news at, at work today about a promotion. And I'm like, I'm sorry, are you justifying why you're drinking a glass of red wine on a fucking Tuesday night? You're a grown-up and you can drink all. Like it's, yeah. it's one of the joys of being old enough to have a credit card. I'll do what I like. Yes. I have a hangover on a Tuesday for no reason. Has there been a time, though, in your in your life where you have drunk to escape? Oh, absolutely. When Dad yeah. was really, 2016, Dad was really sick. He went through two different rounds of radiation. I worked out that out of the 365 days of the year, I was at Royal North Shore over 200 of those days. Uh, that was a tough year and mm. I struggled. I just had to get through it, mm. um, which which actually my GP is amazing and kept me um, in a healthy supply of Valium. Um, and it really, I've got friends that struggle to get Valium when they genuinely need it. And my doctor's like, I know you're not going to abuse that but you need to have your wits about you because I'm making some – being his full-time carer and his, you know, next of kin and his enduring guardian and all that kind of stuff, I need to make big decisions really quickly. Mm. Uh, and if everything's going to shit and there's your dad dying right in front of you. And in you 2016 to, I remember you going through it. Oh, man, I was – yeah, I was really struggling. So on the times when he was in hospital and I didn't have to be on duty, oh, boy, did I drink to escape. Um, mm. And it was interesting because – I actually, as it turned out, love the Valium. It's so nice. I understand why people get addicted to it because it's quite lovely. So I didn't want to waste that on nights where I would get drunk. So I would never mix the two of them because I'm like, well, one makes the other one completely redundant. Why would I waste these finite? Now, whilst my doctor kept me in in a supply, yeah. she was very much, um, she was very good about, you know, making sure that everything was exactly where it should be. Um, but, uh, you know, she... She made sure I had enough without – she never, ever let me get addicted. But I can certainly yeah. see why people get addicted because they're fucking lovely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if I was going on a bender, I'm like, I'm not taking any drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and for someone, A, someone who makes as much adrenaline as me, I can't take class A drugs because my heart is full of adrenaline constantly. Uh, if I was to chuck any of the coke or ecstasy or anything like that or, you know, ecstasy that's been cut from coke, uh, I'd, be, I'd be having a heart attack. Yeah. Um, but I did recently – uh, try Ritalin that a friend of mine had been prescribed just to see. And it did absolutely nothing. I was expecting heart palpitations and everything. It did nothing. What do you like with coffee? Mm, fine. 
does nothing to me. Yeah, I think I'm so flooded with adrenaline all the time that I'm just like, okay. But, um, yeah. And you also recently started having iron infusions regularly. Yeah. Well, I have polycystic ovaries and endometriosis and my periods had gotten so heavy um, that I was, it was like miscarrying every month. So I was really struggling with those. What was the effect on your mental health with, with that? Low iron? Yeah. I couldn't think out of the car. I couldn't get out of the, I couldn't get out of my own way. I was... I was describing it like mentally wading through peanut butter. Everything slowed down. I couldn't make a decision. I was just, it was awful. And as soon as I had the iron infusion, I was like, oh, my God, I'm back because I'm so used to my brain working so quickly. But when it slowed down, I was like, this is some kind of bullshit. I'm not ready for this. Um, so the iron infusions really helped. Then I had endometrial ablations, which, ablation, which stopped my periods. And it was like somebody gave me quality of life. I've had heavy, awful, painful periods to the point where I would pass out every second or third month since I was 13 and 18 months ago, they stopped because they essentially cauterized my uterus. Yeah, so, oh my God, I didn't want to, it was, it was wonderful because I just, the pain was so bad for so long. And my options were to either take serious medication like Endone and Oxycontin, which just knocks me stupid. I just, mm. it doesn't, um, it doesn't necessarily take the pain away, but I'm just like, mm. and it doesn't make me sleep. I just can't function very well. Um, so either take that and not function or sit and be in the pain and focus and meditate it away, which has the same effect in that I'm, I can't, I can't do a day's worth of work thinking because I'm too busy trying to focus on how much it doesn't hurt, you know, that kind of, so to have that pain taken away, oh my God, honestly, I went in to see my gyno after like for the six week checkup and I was emotional. I was like, thank you so much. You have no idea what a difference this has made in my life. And he goes, what? I'm like, you can't understand. You've never had periods, you've never had period pain that has dropped you. Like literally, mm. I'm pretty tough, but I pass out from the pain. Like it's not even like this hurts too much. I'm like, bam, on the ground. Then like, oh, I'm looking at the sky. What happened there? Oh, I passed out again. And I said to him, my best mate wants to know if um, maybe my pain tolerance, because my pain tolerance is insane, mostly I think through the adrenaline, but also because I was exposed to the super <laughs> yeah but I was exposed to super duper pain every month like you just kind of get used to it after a while which is why I think I would pass out I'd be like it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt Boom, on the ground you know yeah um and I said to him my best mate wants to know if my pain tolerance is going to change now because I'm not being exposed to this pain every month and he goes is your best friend calling you a sook <laughs> and I went I don't think so. And he goes, because I would never be brave enough to say that. And I went, what? He goes, here, it says on my screen. And he turned his screen around and on his notes, it said, former bouncer, gridiron player, accountant, do not piss her off. It actually <laughs> said in his notes, do not piss her off. And I laughed so fucking hard That's because that brilliant. should be in every doctor's notes ever. Don't piss her off. But holy fuck did that make me. I was just like, I, so I've gone from almost crying to laughing my ass off that my doctor has recorded that I'm a gridiron player and ex-bouncer. And he was just like, I'm not going to say anything to annoy you. I was like, oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, I love it. So you also bought, uh, bought into a bookshop. Yeah, about, I love that bookshop. That two years three ago? years ago. Three years it ago. was three years ago at the beginning of July. I love that bookshop. It's like therapy. I walk in every day that I open up and I don't get a chance to be in there every day because there's five of us that own it together. Yes. Um, but every day that I open up, you breathe in that secondhand book smell and, oh, my God, it's beautiful. Mm. I quite love it. It's just my happy place. Yeah. So what – so – 
it was something that you'd always wanted to do. No, no, <laughs> just no. Like, just like stand up. Never had any desire to do stand up. I fell into stand up comedy. The bookshop was my favourite place to be. They've got these big green comfy chairs up there. We have these big green comfy chairs up the back of the shop that you can yeah. just sit in for hours. And um, and every time I got back from overseas working, I would come back and I'd go, please tell me desires there. Please tell me desires there. And I'd bolt down to Manly. Desire bookshops there. You fucking beauty. Okay. And I went in one time and the guy who owned the place said, um, look, my health is taking it's taking a toll being the only owner and you have to source the books, you have to price the books, you have to be in the shop, you have to, like, it's a lot of work for one person. you don't person. just do books, do you? Do you? you do books, records and... Yeah, books and records. Yeah. And um, we also get in, we've got a couple of elderly um, people, elderly customers who have macular degeneration, so I find them audio books, but... That's that's something that I do. They're like, this doesn't seem like you've taken much profit on this. And I'm like, I don't need to make money off you people. I've got plenty of money from the other things. Thank you very much. Because you're not a surf at all, are you? <laughs> you don't have a soft, squishy centre. Shut up. <laughs> I'm a bastard-coated bastard with a bastard filling, <laughs> to quote Dr Cox from Scrubs. Um, um, yeah, so uh, the guy said to me, we're selling the shop. And I said, oh, please just don't sell it to some fucking hipster who's going to make it all pretty and nice and shiny and new because it's just like there's so few places left that are just, you know, how they were. Like yeah. everything's being renovated and new lighting and everything's been made into an Ikea fucking showroom and it drives me yeah. crazy. Um, and so he goes, mate, to be honest, I'm just going to sell to whoever wants to pay me for it. He said uh, the person most likely to buy it right now is going to gut it and turn it into a coffee shop and I couldn't, you know, I just, I'd love for it to stay a, sh- a, a bookshop but I don't really... I don't have the luxury of waiting for the right people. So I bullied four of my friends into buying the shop with me because I was like, we can't have the shop become a fucking coffee shop. Another one. <laughs> yeah. So now we own a bookshop. <laughs> but you love it. But, yeah, that's the funny thing is that we gave it a good clean. We painted the ceiling back to being white which because it had kind of gotten a bit kind of grimy. Yeah. We put in, you know, lights so you could see the records and it's killing it. Like it's actually, I had the Sydney Morning Herald ring the other week and say, hey, we want to do a follow-up story to Pages and Pages, which is another secondhand bookshop up in Mossman shutting down. Um, you know, can we come and take photos in the shop? And I said, well, it depends on the tone of your article because if your article is about how secondhand bookshops are shutting down, absolutely fucking not because our shop's killing it. The local community got behind us so much that the shop's thriving and it's a joy to be in here and I absolutely won't allow you to come in and take photos if you're going to be saying that we're closing down because that starts rumours that do actually close you down. She goes, no, no, the, the point of the article is actually how um, that shop closing down was an anomaly because everyone's kind of doing okay. I was like, oh, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little performing space at night so because there's five of us that own the shop, we've all got these different um, projects that we're working on. So there's a writer's meeting in there. There's We do poetry nights. We do open mic nights, which is storytelling and poetry and music. And we do book mm. launches and we do kids yoga and we do meditation nights. And so the space is used... I, I, the, the design was always let's get the business to a point where the books are paying the rent and then once that's covered we can use the space for anything. It's all about ethics and community-mindedness. Like that's – I had a guy ring and say, oh, I want to host a um, – oh, God, it was like a – it was not a dating night but it was like a how to teach men how to um, be more confident around women and essentially it was like a playbook from the game and I just went, no. Nah. He goes, what? And I said, no, I'm not – I don't even give a shit if you pay five times what other people pay because I normally don't charge them. I tell people it's going to be 
I tell them it's a decent fee so it, it, they get invested in advertising it and then on the night I don't charge them. Um, don't tell my business partners that. Um, <laughs> but Because if you say to people the space is free, then they don't really work very hard to promote their night. Yes. So if they think there's a break-even point they have to achieve yeah. and they work really hard to advertise it and then it's a lovely surprise when I go, no, no, this is all in alignment with our ethics. But, so of course, you do charge some people. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. But it's based on it's based on what they're offering and yeah, and it's also based on um, it's also based on how much work I had to do and and if I can't do it and one of the other business partners do it, well then yeah, you have to take the money because you know they've given up their time. Where it's all very well for me to be super generous with my time, but it doesn't mean I should expect the other four mm. of my business partners to do that. So yeah, to, if you do hire the place and I do charge you, it doesn't mean because I don't like you. It's just that. <laughs> Yeah. There was something else on that night and I had to charge or something like that. Like yeah. I had a gig and I had to sub somebody else in. Yes. But, yeah, this guy came in he's like, I want to do it. And I was like, nope, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> not only are we not hosting your night, but uh, you're not welcome in the shop. Yeah, because it's not ethical. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's just not yeah. who we are. Yeah. Um, we've got an art. I put up an art hanging rail so that we could display local artists, which is lovely. Mm. It's just been really nice. Mm. Really enjoying it. Mm. I've 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 done done poetry at your bonfire night, which was, oh, it was a wonderful, it's a wonderful such night. a little night. It, it's funny because it can be a train wreck, or it can be this most amazing organic growing of performances. Like you just never know what you're going to get. Sometimes it's all music, sometimes it's all poetry, sometimes it's weird performance art. You never know what it's going to be, but it's always a th- like. And it's always when something. you're when you're in that when you're in that space, how does that space impact you? Um. I leave there invigorated and so much happier. You know that it's such a cliche, just do what makes you happy and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I'm a full-time comedian who's a part-time bookshop owner who looks after her dad and hangs out with her nieces and nephews and occasionally drives trucks. Like I just have a sweet gig. Like despite, um, you know, oh, my God, it sounds so, my childhood wasn't, amazing but it's certainly not the worst I've heard of despite a bit of a rough start things have turned out all right for me and I'm pretty fucking happy about it it's actually really nice because we haven't really talked a lot about your mental health we've actually talked about all the strategies that you have come up with in your life to get you to this point where life's pretty sweet yeah it's interesting because I've just done this big clean out of my bedroom and office right Mm. so I pulled everything out my friend who makes the candles yes um is also an interior designer and I said to her I want to change my room around. I'm sick of where the furniture is. Can you just tell me where to put it? And she went, yeah, but obviously you're going to paint and, and do all that kind of, you know, fresh start thing. And I was like, no, I wasn't going to. If you can just tell me where to put the furniture. She's like, no, nah, bro, you gotta, you've, you've got a fresh start. Like pull it all out, paint, vacuum, do everything you can, and then only put back in what you want. Don't just put the same old shit back in. And I, to start off with, I really, I was like, oh, dude, I haven't got time to do that. Just let me. She goes, no, nah, this is what you're doing. Oh, okay, fine. Best thing, I am. I was 100% in the wrong, happy to admit that, that I was just going to chuck all the same shit back in again because I've cleared out every piece of crap out of my room and fuck me did I have a lot of it. Mm. I had assignments from when I was in kindergarten and not just the assignments but the source material that the assignment had come from. My mum kept every fucking thing out of my childhood and out of my brother's childhood and my brother's the one who sexually abused me, so he is not something that I need in my bedroom. He is not someone I need. I don't need his shit around me. So it was so fucking cathartic to throw his shit out and set fire to it and really, mm. like, it was it was amazing. Um, and the furniture is in the most – It's I, everything is brilliant. Like, I, I'm fucking loving it. Uh, but it was just about – 
it was about clearing the space and giving yourself kind of the best chance to calm down at night and give yourself somewhere to, to sort of chill. Mm. And it was funny because I'd, I'd found all this stuff with my brothers and I was just like, it was, it, that, that blindsides me when that happens because as mm. far as I'm concerned, I've done an awful lot of work mm. um, to get past the, the uh, child sexual assault. And it was, pretty, it was pretty hectic. It was pretty, it was pretty brutal back in the day. But, you know, I certainly know plenty of people with my story. Um, and I remember clearly being told when I was in primary school and I went to a Catholic school and I think they were trying to do the right thing. But what they said was, if someone's trying to touch you in a place you don't want to be touched, you have to tell someone immediately because kids that are abused go on, girls that are abused go on to be raped and become prostitutes and drug addicts and be in violent relationships and you don't want to be one of them. And I remember so clearly folding my arms across my chest and going, you fucking watch me not be a prostitute, be raped, be blah, blah, blah. And it's only in my adult years that I've come to realise that um, sex workers cop such a fucking hard rap that they were using being a prostitute as a bad thing. It's only now that I go, that was a fuck thing to say on so many levels. Now I'm like, if I want to be a sex worker, I can be a fucking sex worker, you budget dickbags. But mm. at the time it was like these bad things will happen to you guaranteed if you're abused. Well, by then I'd already been abused, like, for years. So mm. I just remember going, I'll fucking show you who's not, like, you might think that's how I'm going to turn out, but you fucking watch this space. And I remember it so clearly, like, my back, getting my back up, straightening my shoulders up, folding my arms across my chest and just going, fucking look out. Like, and, and you know. And owning owning that space. Yeah, yeah who ever knew? Since. Who but in the clean out, I found, A, my primary school photos. And in my year six photo, I hadn't even noticed. I put it online and tagged in all the girls I still know from back in the day, the 17 of us in the, the photo. Mm. And I'm still in contact with probably 12 of them. And one of them said, look at you and your G JC sandals. And I went, huh? And I realised that everybody in my all girls class of 17 all had perfect school shoes on except me. I'm in my Jesus Christ sandals because I couldn't give a fuck. I do what I do. And if you had asked me, I would have said that I was such a little conformist kid who was terrified of standing out because I was so aware of the fact that I was already different because I'd been abused. Nope, without even knowing it, here I am in my sandals just going, zero fucks given. Didn't know, didn't know that I was like that. But looking back on the photos, I'm like, I really was. I remember I refused to wear, I was such a tomboy, I refused to wear a girl's swimming cosy to our swimming carnival. I refused. I'm like, I don't so have boobs you? yet. I wore board shorts. I'm like, I don't have boobs yet. I wear whatever the fuck I want. And I competed in board shorts in my year four swimming carnival. Because um, <laughs> the people are like, you have to put a top. I'm like, why? I don't have boobs. Like, stop looking at me like I've got boobs. I'm like, fucking, I can wear, I used to surf in board shorts. No one knew I was a girl. I was in boardies. Mm. And it's, it's, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, wow, I was a little terror. Like, I was really quite hard to deal with. Because <laughs> I just, I refused. I'm like, no. I'd probably be on the spectrum diagnosed these days, I reckon, because I was so, you just could not make me do what I didn't want to do back then. I reckon I'd be medicated were I to be a child now. Um, but in cleaning out my room, I found all those old photos. And I also found two of my mental health plans over the years, both of which were I had been diagnosed with depression and I had no memory. I had not taken the depression diagnosis on at all. Like mm. if you had asked me what my diagnosis was, I would have said I was having a rough shot at the time and the, the doctor thought I could benefit from talking to somebody. Mm. I did not. I held them both side by side and went, holy shit, both of them diagnosis of depression. And I was like, oh, well, that's news. Yeah. <laughs> like, So it's not something you've ever owned. No. Yeah. Not, not only did I not own, I didn't even listen. I didn't even, yeah, it, didn't, it, it was amazing. Like I, I was mm. really, that shocked me. And I went, yeah. wow. 
Um, Because I always know, I've always known that with the adrenaline comes anxiety. Um, You know, there's different bits and pieces. Mm. Um, But yeah, that really, that really shocked me to find, I'm kind of rediscovering who I was as a child because there was such a disconnect from being abused and having to just get on with life um, and pretending that none of it happened. And then all of it coming out at sort of 25, 26 and having a mental breakdown and having to deal with it then, Mm. that I had kind of forgotten a whole bunch of stuff that had happened. Not the abuse, obviously, because that's so fucking horrendous. You can't forget that, even if you try. But all the little bits and pieces. So I was, it was like rediscovering my childhood. So the, you know, so a lot of that stuff was in. It was insignificant because of the things that had happened. Mm. So you got to relive that. It was wonderful. And, I and really enjoyed it. One thing that I saw that you that, that you posted because we are friends on Facebook because we've been friends for so long was a um, a tennis racket cover. Yeah, signed by Yvonne Goolagong-Corley. How fucking cool is that? If you had asked me, I would have said I didn't own that. I found it and I was like, oh, I remember being given this. It was the best day of my life. <laughs> Just talk to the picture framers today about having it framed. Okay. It was amazing. Yeah, so you are going to do something with oh, it. Oh, hell yeah. But yeah. I found all this stuff of my brothers and I found all this stuff of my ex-boyfriends that if you had asked me, I would have said I'd thrown it out. And I rang a mate of mine who's like really into kind of ritually stuff and and how to just just Blend. yeah how to get rid of all that sort of shit she said as you find stuff get a big black bag like a black hopefully a cloth one so I found a black doona cover put it all in there get it out of the house and then on the full moon just after the eclipse burn the fuck out of all of it go and collect um she told me to go and collect like eucalyptus and she oak and that kind of stuff and she's like proper hippie she's like yep. thank the trees for giving themselves so that you can burn this stuff to make the fire work, stand yep. in the smoke, let it wash all over you. And then, because I had to do it at like 8.30 in the morning, um, and the only place I could find that I could have an open fire, it's not as easy to burn shit as it once was. Yes. <laughs> when I was a kid, you could have fires fucking everywhere. But now, yeah. so I had to go and f- I found this big fire pit and I burned all my brother's stuff. I burned all my ex-boyfriend's stuff, inconsequential stuff, things like assignments and, and birthday cards and things that like, you know, mm. it, it, couldn't give a fuck if they hear this and they know I've burnt all their stuff, suck it, right? But mm. but to burn it all and stand in the smoke and then jump in this great big body of water at the dam and wash it all off, honestly, I was 15 foot high and bulletproof. I just walked off and I was like, yeah, fucking fuck. You should have seen me. <laughs> and it was funny because it's I've been for a swim and I'm standing in front of the fire now with a towel around me and it's the middle of winter, so I should be freezing my fucking ass off. But the sun at 8.30 in the morning is gorgeous and I was protected from the wind and I'm you standing in front, yeah, and I'm standing in front of a fire and this lady pulls up it's school holidays and this lady pulls up and brings her two little kids down and goes oh what's the water like and I went oh it's really cold actually like it's so cold that I wouldn't swim in there unsupervised because I would have cramped and like I literally just went for a dip and got straight out she goes oh it's that bad and I said yeah and she goes oh but you've got the fire and I went yeah well it is a full moon and eclipse and I had a whole lot of shit to set fire to and she went okay kids come on let's go and grabbed these two kids and fucked off like I'm some kind of high powerful witch or something she literally just went come on let's go like, Let's just leave the scary lady. Yeah, yeah, leave it. And again, I'm in board shorts and a cosy top. And I'm just, I laughed so fucking hard. She was honestly like, get the fuck away from this crazy bitch. Let's do this. <laughs> and I giggled and just went, yeah, I guess I am a little bit crazy. <laughs> I just found both my mental health plans to diagnose me with being a little bit crazy and I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, I'm going to thank you for, for having a chat with us. I'm pretty sure that we could sit here and talk all night. Oh, for sure. But, but you do have a gig to go to. <laughs> I've got a show to, to go dinner to. dinner before, beforehand. So just in closing, okay, just in closing. What are three things that you do to look after yourself? I make sure I eat well. Yep. Um, I, I've i worked out seven hours sleep is my sweet spot. Yep. So I always try to get seven hours sleep. Yep. And I take time 
if I can feel the anxiety building up, I take time to either go for a surf, find my dog and cuddle him until I feel better, or I'll, I'll find something, movie, a poetry reading, I'll find something where I can just sit and be in the moment and calm the fuck down and remind myself that, you know, you've worked really hard to get to this mental health bit. Don't mm. fuck it up. Don't yeah. let it slide away. Yeah. Okay. And finally, what does your future look like? <laughs> fuck to find no mate. <laughs> It'll be, hey, do you feel like blah, blah? Yeah, I'll have a crack. That's what my future looks like. Yeah, I'll have a crack. Why not? Just give it a go. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Thanks Julia. for having me. As always, it has been an absolute pleasure and delight and I'm looking forward to seeing your set in about an hour. <laughs> so I would like to thank Julia Wilson for sharing her secrets with me today. I'm going to also thank Nick, McConnell, Nick McCorriston, who is my podcast guy and is going to make this sound okay. Thank you to you, the listeners, for listening and subscribing and rating us. If you have secrets to share and you would like to hear, and we would love to hear from you if you want to share them, please send us an email via our website, secretkeepercounselingwith2ls.com.au. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.